Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Poolside Perspectives Podcast. I am Kevin Woodhurst, and with me is my good friend, Mike Farley, and we're so glad you found this podcast. Together, we have been homeowner advocates in outdoor living and the pool industry for over 30 years. So we understand the challenges you face creating your backyard paradise. We know your curiosity is not enough to ensure your success. So on this podcast, we're going to talk about the design process and practical steps to help you create that space. We'll have some fun mixed in with it, some aha moments, and this is no fluff. No one has time for that. So we're going to get serious and get very particular about all of these topics. Whether you are a new homeowner with your first remodel or a seasoned homeowner competing your last dream home, we are here to help you end up with what you dreamed of. From pools to patios, pizza ovens to pergolas, porcelain to pumps, pool party to permits, ping pong tables to the processes to your paradise. This is straight talk and action steps. Let's get started. All right, good afternoon, everybody. This is Kevin Woodhurst and Mike Farley here with another Poolside Perspectives podcast. We have a super exciting show for you today because it's going to be about what a lot of people love, which is vanishing edge pools, perimeter overflow pools, and cool stuff like that. So here we go. Mike. Yes, sir. Today we're going to talk about vanishing edge pools, and you've done a lot of them. I've done a lot of them. Let's get right at it. Okay. So why do you like them? I like them because they're unique, because there's a lot of different ways to do them, because you can get really creative on it, and it can take advantage of some spectacular views. The views are key to For me. sure. Because I've had people say, hey, I want to do a vanishing edge in my backyard, and I'm looking at a flat backyard with a six-foot warped wood fence as my viewpoint. And mm-hmm. I'm like, why do you want to do a vanishing edge pool here? So it has to be done in certain sites. Although we're going to talk about our reverse negative edge too. Yes. And that is one of or, my favorite vanishing, vanishing edge pools. Edge. Yes. It's got a lot of different names. That's always confused me. Yes. And let's go through all the names. Negative edge pool. Vanishing edge pool. Infinity. Those are the three that I hear the most. Then you have, we'll talk about the other thing. And that's the concept of this is we have a cup and someone cut the rim off the cup at one spot. And so the water runs out that cut in the rim. At that height. At that height. Because the vanishing edge water line is typically about the same as the water line in the pool. So around the pool, other than the, the side that's got the vanishing edge or infinity edge, is going to have your typical tile that you've got three inches of dry space and then you're coping on it. And that edge is level with the water. So your sight can then vanish into whatever this wonderful view that you have, because you're not trying to clutter that view up. You're trying to frame that view and play off that view. The goal is to take you beyond the pool. Beyond your property. Yeah. To To infinity infinity and beyond, beyond, right? Yeah, no, they are certainly specialty pools. They can be spectacular and they can be massive disasters. Yes. So I read an article and Lou Akins was the person that was interviewed in the article. And Lou is a pioneer in the vanishing edge world and the pool industry. And he said mainly the problem came with people totally misunderstood what they were going to get. They weren't explained what a vanishing edge did and what it didn't do. And so when they were done, they were mad. So he said, that's where most of the problems come in. Although Lou makes a good living being an expert witness, as well as another one of the pioneers in the industry, Skip Phillips. Mm -hmm. I know that they both go and see countless projects that are disasters Mm -hmm. because people saw a picture 
and are like, I can build that. I saw a post not too long ago of, of somebody in California on a huge hillside deciding that it was too expensive to have somebody build any, he's going to do it on his own. And I wish him all the best of luck. But the reality is these are very complex pools that even people in the industry can struggle with. When I first got involved in the pool industry and I was writing a column for Water Shapes and the very first book I reviewed in that adventure, I had a 10 year span where I did basically book reports. Mm -hmm. And the first book that I did a book report was on John Lautner. And John Lautner was a, he was an apprentice with created this, the first vanishing edge pool that was done in the United States. He designed it in 1956. Silver something, right? Silver top. Silver top in California. In California. Probably LA, Orange County. It probably is in LA most definitely. I'm not sure if it's in Orange County, but he did most of his work down in that part of the country. Very modern architect that some of his stuff has been seen all over the world. And most of his homes are almost like museums today. But he did the first one, but they've been done for a hundred years in Europe. Yeah, we were talking about this earlier. Yeah. So mm -hmm. from a history standpoint, but and actually there's some physical, natural water features out in the world that almost look like perimeter overflow pools because they drop in down to one pool into another pool. And I forget where that's at, but it's somewhere over in Europe. Yeah. Niagara Falls would be one. Yeah, that's a big vanishing edge. Big vanishing right? edge. The water just goes over. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, it is. Maybe that was the thing that triggered that creativity. I don't know. Inspiration. Well, we find inspiration in a lot of different places, mm -hmm. but it was interesting. I did my deep dive into research. So to bring up things that I didn't think of that were just common sense and Wikipedia had something interesting to say that, that when I looked up Vanishing Edge and Wikipedia said it only adds twenty to $35,000 in cost to do a Vanishing Edge pool. What? Where? In Wickaland. And how? Yeah. I am sure that you could create something to get a vanishing edge effect. An effect. I don't know how long that effect would last before it falls apart. Yeah. So probably one of the things we should talk about is the execution of a vanishing edge, how it works and what's important. Because I think what you're talking about, because I played a lot of golf in Phoenix years ago when I could play golf. So walking down the golf course, especially up in North Scottsdale, I mean, it's just vanishing edge pool after another. You just walk down through it and you can see a lot of errors, a lot of mistakes, a lot of problems, a lot of issues, and a lot of pools coming apart. Yeah. So there's certain things. And here's the way that I look at things like this. So if you're going to build a vanishing edge on a pool, you must have a spectacular view that you're looking at. You're trying to frame that view up. So this is a piece of property you're probably going to stay at for a little while. It's not like you're going to build this house and then be poof gone in a couple of years. So more like the traditional vanish edge pool. So give me an idea, give our audience an idea of what those views might be. Oh, you might be looking over the city skyline of where you're at. I, I see a number of them. That's the, the application. Some people may be looking over a, a rural setting. Some people look over water. Yeah. And so it's a water to water connection. Sure. So. It's something that what's a beautiful view. It usually gives you a sense of peace and tranquility to look at it or sense of awe to look at it. Yeah. And so you want to put this and help frame this view up with this. So it's not something you're going to move on. So when you're going to build it, my feeling is you want to build it to last. 
For sure. Not five years or 10 years or even well, 20. Not only to last, but you literally have no margin of error. Correct. You put water in a glass and you make the glass 40 feet long. Mm -hmm. And if you tip that glass just ever so slightly, all the water runs out one end and it doesn't on the other end. So you have no vanishing edge effect. Mm -hmm. Now you have water running out of one side. You have to build this vessel to stay perfectly level right. for a long period of time, which is not how nature works. So there's several things that, in my opinion, you'd be silly not to do. To me, I have a car and it is by state law now that I have car insurance. Even before it was, I still had car insurance. Mm -hmm. Reason why is stuff can happen. Mm -hmm. So it's like saying I'm going to build a vanishing edge pool and I'm not going to put a substructure and piers underneath it to stabilize this because I'm sitting on good soil. And how do you know that? I don't. Right. Which is part of the engineering. So getting soils testing and having an engineer actually build a foundation for this thing to sit on is what you're talking about. Sure. Because I'm a designer. Mm -hmm. I'm not a structural engineer. And I don't know how many piers and what the spacing of those might be and the size of the shafts that may be required or how deep they need to go into the rock. Those are all things that I don't figure out. And sometimes I think homeowners assume that the pool person figures all that out because some pool builders choose to take that responsibility on themselves, which is not a very wise decision. I would agree. If you're going to build something and it's going to hold up well, especially when you're talking about a managing edge, you need to get it engineered. Agreed. You said also you're going to need a soils report or geotech report to give to the engineer so he can figure out how in the world this needs to be done. But the thing that people need to understand about the engineer is that the engineers are only realistically doing structural engineering. They're not doing like hydraulics and a lot of that other stuff. So they're basically putting a foundation or designing and engineering a foundation underneath this pool project so that the pool doesn't move. It doesn't settle. That's the goal because as Mike was saying on a vanishing edge pool, you could have a 30, 40, 50, 80 foot, 100 foot vanishing edge and your margin of tolerance is pretty much equal to some degree to the amount of water you can get over the edge. The idea is though to use as little water as possible to go over the edge and maintaining that perfect stabilization across the entire length of the vanishing edge wall. Here we have tremendously good soil and we have tremendously bad soil. Mm -hmm. In all cases, I would say that you're going to want to put a structure underneath it and that's what the engineer is going to recommend. I totally agree. Step one is you want to, the engineer involved in your process. And so here's a problem that comes up with that. And that is that Mike and I both believe that you need engineering, but in order to get an accurate estimate on the construction costs, that engineering would have to already be done. Otherwise, you're guessing. Correct. So unless you're going to start with a rough number. Yeah, but you could throw engineering in that number. And you may throw in what the engineer may recommend, but these are scope sure. allowances until the engineer comes back and states exactly what's going to be required. So you can have a starting point. You can't have everything all at once. You kind of have to figure out how you're going to eat the apple. So, sure. Okay. So we have some structural aspects. Now you mentioned hydraulics. So hydraulics, water flow is how this all works. The water is going to flow over the edge 
and then it vanishes, right? I hope it doesn't vanish. I hope it goes somewhere that I can retrieve it. So there's two places it's going to go. It's going to go in a basin, basically at the bottom of the pool structure that usually the water goes over the edge and it's captured down below in the basin or search in the basin and then sent back. Or the other thing is like Silvertop, which was the first one, there was no basin. The, The water went into a trough and the trough fed over into a tank. And then the water was taken from that tank and circulated back into the pool. Mm. So you've got to create a vessel down there to capture the water. If I remember right on that pool, it's actually a gutter. Yes, a gutter would be a correct statement. That transitions that water that goes over the edge to an accumulation point so it can be, is that tank filtered and everything on that pool? Did they do that? I don't know. I didn't get to visit. Personally, I've just seen pictures. Yeah, I've just seen pictures too. So, which you bring up a very good point. The first thing when I started doing uh, vanishing edge pools is people would be like, what do you need a filter for? You're just going to take the water and circulate it back up in the top. Why do you need a filter down there? This is a really key point. So listen in really closely here, because this is going to make all the difference in the world in your vanishing edge pool. What we're talking about is that vanishing edge basin or that vanishing edge surge tank is a separate body of water because if you don't filter it, you're pumping dirty water back up into your pool every time. Why would it be dirty? Because everything ends up in that basin. Oh, so the vanishing edge where the water goes over is like a giant skimmer. Like a giant weir, yes. Okay, so everything that's trashy in the pool goes over the edge down into there. What people need to understand is that everything that comes into the pool, everything that comes into the pool comes in at the surface. And so the vanishing edge actually draws the water over the edge. So unless the stuff gets fully saturated, maybe the pool's not running, it's not going to sink to the bottom. Now, once it gets to the bottom, whether or not it's going to go over the edge or not, it's going to depend on the cleaning system. If you have an in-floor cleaning system, it'll continue to push stuff up into suspension so that it goes over the vanishing edge. Where Now, bear in mind, we still have a main drain in the pool, so some of it goes to the main drain. But what the designers are doing, what we're doing here on all of our projects is we're trying to figure out what is really the best way to do this and propose that first time. So the idea is that you're not going to have to remodel this base and you're going to build it right the first time. So step one is you need a filter. Yes. Unless you're going to take dirty water and pump it up into the top. Because mm-hmm. most of the time where you're drawing that water out is on the floor where the sediment and everything's going to sit down there. Sure. So you want to filter that water before it goes back in. Mm-hmm. So you almost need to treat it like a fully separate body of water. So its own separate cleaning system, possibly its own pump, its own filter. Okay. Here's one thing that I explain to people when they come to me about a vanishing edge. And most people have a hard time wrapping their heads around it until you explain it this way. Basically, you're building another swimming pool. Yes. Okay. So everything that's on the top pool, there's one on the bottom pool too, generally. You can have lights in the bottom pool. You could. You're going to have a sanitation system? It depends on a few factors, but absolutely. Okay. But for the most part, you're building a small pool down there. Mm -hmm. And a small pool, depending on the market you're in, is going to probably be a minimum of $50,000, $60,000 in cost. No, just to build a small pool, if I was going to say by comparison. But there's a lot of things that are involved in a vanishing edge that are different than just a small pool. For sure. It gives people a point of reference. This isn't a $10,000 upgrade or as Wikipedia said, $20,000 upgrade. I think that it probably could be, but it would be done 
in a way, in a fashion, at least I believe that they're going to have challenges with it. So you're not going to put peers and a filter system and in for cleaning and that. So it'd be $20,000 in cost. Okay. So we've established we need a filter. Can't we put a cleaner down there? We can. Okay. But it will need to be on its own separate system. Okay. What's the size of a basin typically? Is it like a small swimming pool and it's 22 by 12? It depends on the size of the pool. Okay. Can you do, I've had architects come to me and say, I want the basin to be a foot wide. It could be if it's really deep. It could be if it's really insanely deep, but how is anybody going to get in there to finish anything? Yeah. That's the point is there's great ideas, but then there's the actual execution of them. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. So there's things that get drawn on paper or done on Instagram that look cool. I questioned one of those projects on a Facebook page not that long ago and was told that they had their own secret sauce on how they designed the basin because it was incredibly small. Yeah. Like, all right. So the basin has to be a certain size. Certain capacity. Why is that? One of the ways I explain people to this, at these vanishing edge pools, I try to build a picture in their head so they understand what's going on. And this is what it is. If you have a pool and a spa combination and your spa is elevated over your pool and dumps into your pool. Yes. Pool basically is a basin. Okay. But because the body of water is so much bigger, it doesn't affect the height of the water or the water volume in the pool very much. Because the spa is small. Because the spa is small. Now flip that around. And you take a pool and dump it into a spa, what's going to happen? Overflows. Exactly. Okay. So your basin has to be big enough to handle overflow. And that overflow is what? Water in transit, surge. What else? Rain. Rain. Surge would be the 10 boys that jump in the pool at the same time and the Mm -hmm. water surges over the wall? Yes. Okay. And everybody that gets in the pool displaces about 25 gallons. Right. But whether they jump in or they ease themselves in, they're still going to displace the water. If they just slide in, 25 gallons. But if they cannonball in, it's going to be a lot more than that. Yeah, because there's a wave. Or splashing around, playing around. So the water goes over into the basin. So why doesn't it overflow? It would have to have the capacity to handle all of that. Okay, so how do you do that? You do math. So I'm good at math. So am I. We probably don't have as many problems as some people do. Yeah. What happens is with a pool, your water is three inches below the top? Approximately, yep. Okay. So if I did my math and calculated all these people in this displacement or rain or water in transit, three inches probably isn't going to do the job. Why not? If it's a small basin compared to the size of the pool. So how do you fix that? After it's done? No, I'm saying, how do you build it so does my water line, is it three inches below the top of the pool in the lower basin? In the lower basin, well, in the lower basin, the water is going to be going up and down quite a bit. So it goes up and down. Based upon the surge, the bather load. Up, 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 Water in transit. Oh, down, 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 down. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's moving. Yes, it is. Okay, so if it's moving, then this isn't a great place for it to be a kiddie pool. It could be, but probably not. Okay. Now, it depends on, again, it goes back to the surface area, not the depth, as to how much that water is going to change. The depth has, makes no difference. It's the surface area that makes all the difference. The surface. 
What I've had people ask in the past, is this a really cool place for kids to hang out and play? And I tell them no, because the water's going to go up and down and it might be three and a half feet point at one point, but then it might be five feet deep at another point because the water is going up and down. Mm -hmm. And from a safety standpoint, you don't want kids playing in there and all of a sudden the water's up over their head where before it wasn't. So, I mean, that's not a safe situation. But it's a design consideration if that's what they want. If they want it to be a kiddie pool. Mm -hmm. Then it needs to be big. Okay. So I've done a number of projects that I call them double pools. The pool at the bottom is as big or even bigger than the one on top. So it's a really big spa up on top and a really big pool down on the bottom. And so my water level and change with displacement is within an inch or two. So now I can use it as a typical swimming pool so I can put skimmers on it. So is a typical vanishing edge basin have skimmers? No, because the water moves up and down and the skimmers wouldn't work when the water's down. I've seen a lot of vanishing edge pools with skimmers on the lower basin. I always am like, how's that work? Exactly. But it's the same thing. I mean, what other mistakes do you see? A water level or in the main pool rather than in the basin. Yeah. The basin controls the water level. Correct. 100%. It's where it's moving up and down. So what you're saying is if you have a vanishing edge pool, you're probably going to want an automatic water level or instead of a manual one. Oh, you're going to want one because you're going to get a lot of evaporation off that edge. Okay. So I was reading something that a typical vanishing edge pool will lose at least three times the normal pool Mm -hmm. in the same circumstances. So here in Texas, I tell people in the middle of summer, you can lose easy three inches of water to evaporation in a week. Sure. And in places like Phoenix where it's really arid, probably even more. So it's going to be based on where you're at. Mm -hmm. But so nine inches water loss in a week would not be uncommon. So most people, when they see that, they think they have a pool leak. Correct. Which they could have because there's all kinds of places for a vanishing edge pool to leak. This is true, but you also need to understand on the very beginning that you're going to lose a lot of water to evaporation. And the things that come into play too is how far is that water dropping Mm -hmm. and how is it leaving the upper pool to go into the lower pool? That's a great point all of it in itself because how is that water dropping? Is Because sometimes you're not going to see the backside, so maybe you don't care. You just want to get that look of that water disappearing off the back. Or as you and I have designed in the past, where you've got an entertainment area down below, now you're looking back up at that wall. What do you want to do with that wall? This is a very important thing for the homeowner to decide. Am I going to sit down at the lower level and look at this wall? And I've had people say, absolutely not. And I'm like, then it doesn't need to look good. And they're like, no, I live on the golf course. Mm-hmm. I want it to look good for everybody that walks by because I want to impress everybody. Sure. Okay. So it needs to be communicated so we understand what you're trying to achieve from the lower level because the water level that I may take over, if it's not important, is a very low water level over the weir. Mm-hmm. As long as it covers the whole weir, we're good. Versus I want it to be well, Niagara Falls right. going across the other side. Now, the problem with Niagara Falls is you're going to lose water out of the basin. Yep. So one thing that comes into play a lot Again, I didn't realize that this was such a big deal, but everywhere I've ever worked is windy. And so when you drop that water two, three, four feet and the wind's blowing and the edge of your weir is lined up with the edge of the basin, 
there's no way in the world you're keeping that water all in the basin. Well, and it also depends a little bit on which way you're cutting the vanishing edge back. Are you cutting it away from the pool or back into the pool? This is one of the biggest things, in my opinion. I have a very strong, uh, there's a lot of things that I'm like, you could do this, you can do that. It's personal choice. Choose what you think's best. But this is one of the few things that I'm like, you absolutely, in my opinion, need to do it one way. I agree. I want to cut it. So the weir, the top of the weir has an angle on it. Mm -hmm. Okay. The high side is where the water is going to go to. Right. Okay. If your high side is on the house side, that means as the water goes over the edge, it's going to hit the slope and it's going to shoot off the wall and you're going to displace water. Because of the sloped portion accelerates the trajectory of the water and it's moving faster at that point. It wants to fly off the wall. Yeah. And some people are like, hey, I think that's what I want. And I'm like, I don't think you really want that because there's a lot of problems associated with mm. that. So the other thing is when you do that and the water leaves on where top of the cut is closest to the house, the pool's a foot smaller. So if you angle it the other way, the pool's bigger. And the other th aspect a lot of times is you might be able to hide more of the things that you can see below. Sure. So one of the most horrible effects is to build a vanishing edge pool and then see the top 12 inches of the fence down the yard. Sure. So now you look over and you see this pristine level of water hanging out in air, and then there's this foot of fence sticking over the top of it. So that's not a very dramatic look. Well, but it also depends on where you're at, because if you're at the house, at the edge of the pool, or in the pool, that may or may not go away. So how there's do you, a lot of stuff to talk about. Okay. So how do you walk a client through that so they understand what they're going to see? I have a couple of things that I show them. Okay. So you use your 3D modeling to well, help with line that? Well, line of sight is one thing. You can't really use the 3D modeling. And, and I think that one of the, the things that happens with the 3D modeling is it's unrealistic as to how the vanishing edge works because of the water and how it flows on some of the programs that we have makes it look like it's perfect going across the entire thing with a massive amount of water on it. We can adjust it in the program to some degree, but that's why those are conceptual plans so we can give people an idea of how it works, but at the same time, we got to be able to explain it to them. Okay. So what you're saying is as you look over this from different heights, so if I'm sitting in a chair versus I'm standing, my yes. line of sight is different versus I'm in the pool, my line of sight is different because right. I'm down at the, my head's three and a half feet lower versus I go up in the house and the house may be 24 inches higher than the pool because I have steps coming down to it. So my line of sight's different. So all those different lines of sight, including the balcony on the second floor. So what you don't want to see is the basin. You want to see the water disappearing, but you don't want to see where it's going. Unless it's a reverse negative. Okay, we'll touch that. I know basin. we're going back there. We're going to go back there. That's a cool one. But what I think is really helpful is for people to then go and look at... The other thing is I've gotten into trouble with curved vanishing edges because in one part of the yard, it looks perfect, but then you move over another 15 feet, then you actually see the weir mm -hmm. or you see the basin down below it, and so you lose some of that effect. I think 3D modeling is very helpful it is. to give people a perspective on it, and I've changed pools... A lot of times we're working on a hillside with a vanishing edge a lot of times. And my natural tendency is, especially where I've got a lot of elevation to deal with, is I'm going to take that pool and drop it down a couple of feet 
you know, there's a terrace off the porch and then I start the pool terrace. And what happens though is my line of sight is not as good. I'm not blocking as much things below. And sometimes you may be blocking a neighbor's roof. Mm -hmm. You may be blocking the fence. You may be blocking other key items. And it really helps to plug those things in your 3D model at the right elevation. And then you can visualize how all those pieces go together. But that is the key, is having everything right in the program. The other thing you can do is you can do a 2D rendering and just show different elevations and how that looks out over the edge. You can get close there. But I think the point is that the homeowners need to understand what's going on here. And we need to understand as designers, what's the look you're going after? Because you brought up a lot of very valid points. And this all goes back to the angle of the weir. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's one other thing, and we may be jumping around all over the place, but I'm trying not to forget something as we go. I like it where the angle of the, the top of the weir is farther away from the house and it's angling back towards the house. In the pool. In towards the pool. The pool. Okay. Yeah. There's a key element there where you can have a train wreck and it's on the tile that's on that weir. It needs to match the interior finish or be similar to the interior finish so you don't see it. Exactly. It needs to disappear. So a lot of times people are like, well, I'm going to use a tile that matches my coping mm -hmm. and they're going to want to take that tile across there. The very first vanishing edge pool I did. The gentleman wanted, we had this cool white limestone decking that we were using everywhere. Mm -hmm. And we had a black pool and we had the black lake behind and it was going to be water on water and it was going to look beautiful. And he's like, but we need to use this stone across the top of the weir. I just ruined everything. Well, did yeah, it, not? it did. And I was in fact anyway, and I was a new designer and I wasn't as opinionated as I should have been. Mm -hmm. In fact, I should have just told him, no, I'm going to ruin it. He had never done one. I had never done one, but at least I'd been in classes that I'd been taught the right thing to do. And so I was like, you shouldn't really do that. I don't think it'll look good. And he's like, well, I think it's going to look great. And I was like, okay, it's your house. You can do it. When we finished it, he's like, well, that looks horrible. And I was like, yeah. Do you tell the client I told you so? I don't know. Depends on how well you know the client. So what's on that is a lot of times I will change the tile, as I'm sure you do as well. It, you may have one tile that goes all the way around the pool, but then when it hits the weir, it changes and matches the watercolor. Something that's similar to the interior finish. Okay. Now, here's where it gets real tricky. Do you match the exact interior finish color or do you in fact match the interior finish that you think it's going to look like reflecting the sky? I think certain colors give you a certain effect no matter what. Granted. And so my go-to has always been dark on vanishing edge pools. I'm not okay. saying it's the only way to do it because I've done white ones too. I did one in Phoenix 25 years ago, all white tile, everything. And it looks okay because it's all white, but if, imagine a black tile on it and a white interior finish. And this is what we're talking about. We're talking about maybe a dark interior finish and a lighter tile. You're going to see the tile. Here's another thing. I'll just jump in here quick because we talked about angling back towards the house or angling away from the house. Yes. So I've done a couple vanishing edge pools with flat weir walls with actually an angle at the probably the last six inches up and then back down so that you had a flat surface to put your arms on. Or if you're standing there at the weir wall looking downstream, you got something to put your arms on or rest on. I've never done that, but the, the angle is not like a 45 degree angle. I no, mean, it's five degrees. It's a flat situation. So 
Generally, it's pretty comfortable to rest your arms on it if it's cut back towards the house. Just saying I've done a flat one before. Yeah, that's cool. Looks good. On a reverse negative edge. Okay, that makes some sense, too. My mind just went blank. Oh, lighter versus darker. There's a definite, some opinions on that. People ask me all the time, I want to match the lake color. What color is that going to be? And they never like the answer. Dark, basically black. Now, black has become much more popular in the last few years. We got the white and black houses, and so we have the white and black pools, and so people have done a lot of black interior finishes the last several years. But previous to that, most people were like, "Mm, I can go dark, but that makes me nervous to do a pool that dark. Why do you think that is? I think it's a psychological thing. Mm -hmm. I think it's, I think a lot of us grew up swimming not in swimming pools Mm -hmm. and we swam in the lake and we swam in rivers and stock ponds and all kinds of things like that. And when you had a dark pool, that meant there wasn't good visibility. I can't see my feet. Is that my brother messing with my feet? Is it a catfish messing with my feet? Is it a snake? I can't see my feet, so I don't know. So that makes me nervous, but pools are clear. Yes. That's a water clarity issue. Okay. You know, it's not a stock pond. It's mm-hmm. a swimming pool. A stocked pond. I grew up in West Texas. All right. We had stock. Fair enough. Okay. The word of the day, stock is a cow. I tell people all the time, I've got a black pen. I can throw it in the pool and you can see it as clear as day. The other thing is people are like, I won't be able to see my kids down there. And I said, if your kids are the color of the pool, they will blend in with the pool and you won't see them very well. But if they're not the color of the pool, then they may contrast with the color of the pool and stand out quite a bit. So I have owned several black pools. I have built many black pools and the water is crystal clear. And the thing about Phoenix is one of the things that people hate in Phoenix is scorpions. You can see them really clear on the bottom of a pool. They swim. Black pool. They end up in pools. Okay. They decide to take a dive or cool off and it doesn't work out real well for them. But yeah, there's critters in pools. I think people worry about that. That's certainly, it's a concern that I think is valid, but I think it's because people don't really understand how a black pool really does look out in the world. Water is clear whether you put it in a white one, a blue one, a gray one, a black one, a tan one, the water's clear. Now what happens is the water does reflect the sky. Sure, so you end up with a really dark turquoise color in a black pool most of the time. So it just depends on what is around that you're reflecting. Sometimes you're reflecting trees, sometimes it's the house. So one of the things that I think is spectacular about a vanishing edge pool that a lot of people don't understand, they get the concept of the water disappearing over the edge. But to me, the most spectacular effect is at night. Oh, for sure. Okay, and I'm going to turn this pool You're going to basically have the water that's very flat. I'm not going to be running any additional water features. I want the water to be as still as possible. And I'm going to turn on the lights in the house and the landscape lighting on the key plants out there. And this pool becomes a mirror. It's unbelievably beautiful. To me, that is one of the spectacular things that happens. Now, if it's a darker pool... During the day, it's a mirror as well, and it may reflect the clouds going over, and it may reflect the landscaping around it. It's going to reflect other things, and the darker you make a pool, the more reflective it is. Absolutely. So the white one, 
you're not going to get much reflection off of that at all. So you lose that benefit. I think when I did the white one, I don't even know that Black Pebble was even here yet because that's been at least 25 years ago. Now they had Black Pebble tech, I think, and then they had Black Pebble Sheen. And in fact, they just came out with a new, even darker black color, which I'm pretty excited about. Yes, we're going to use that soon, I hope. It's just a, a side note of something that affect, and in fact, we're going to touch base on Vanishing Edge Spas in a little bit as well, but that effect happens on the top of that spa that I think is really spectacular as well with the water being flat and still that the darker it is, the more reflective it is. We'll get some black pools uploaded onto the... What's taking place now, so we're trying to post pictures of all these things on the website and also our Instagram that as we discuss things... We're getting people that are helping us with photographs and labeling. So you can look, we just dropped episode nine, which talks about water features and materials. And we're doing lots of water features and details that are coming out. The same thing will transpire for this episode as it comes down. We'll have photographs of of that type of situation as well. Now, some people say black pool may look cool, but it's going to be hotter. So true. It is going to be a little warmer. It'll be a little warmer. And because I spent so many years in Phoenix, that question came up quite a bit. There's a couple different ways you can look at this. It's going to passively warm up your water a little sooner than everybody else's. So okay. you're going you're gonna to swim before other people and later. But during the summer, you're going to probably see a three to four, maybe a five degree difference between your pool and maybe a color that's not so dark and maybe even a little bit more from a pool that's pure white. Right. So most people don't pick pure white. Well, I don't think that any of us pool builders want to even put white plaster in a pool a whole lot anyway. Go down that road somewhere else. Yeah. But no, I, I'm not a fan of the word plaster, mm. which could be the word of the day. Yes, it could. Foreshadowing. We can also put a chiller on it. Yes, and I love chillers. Okay, so now we can have a cool look and we can have cool water and so and a cool pool. And so we're cool pools. There was a show called Cool Pools. Yeah. Nice show. The color of the water, we've discussed that. What else should we think about when we're building a We brought up the really super important points of engineering. Yes. And we've also talked about how a vanishing edge basin, more than likely, and in most cases, I'm going to say needs to have its own separate circulation system. So it's like a separate pool. If you want to keep it clean, if you don't care about keeping it clean, you want to pump dirty water back up to the pool, then I guess you could do that. It's not the way to do it though. Not anymore. And it probably wasn't the way to do it in the beginning, but like all industries, it evolves. We figure out better ways to do things. And that's really Mike and my goal, which is why we've done what we've done and why we're doing what we're doing. Got keeping it clean. How do you keep it safe? Oh, that's a good question. So, and it kind of ties back into whether or not we should make it into a kiddie pool. So how do you make a vanishing edge pool safe? Yes. I've had some people who are like, I'm worried my dog's going to run down there and fall in and I, I'm not going to be able to see him. Or maybe my grandchild too, but. So you could, depending, this goes back to the size of the basin. Because you could put a bench in a basin. You could put a step in a basin. You could put a set of steps in a basin. If you're going to look at it like a separate body of water, and if there's the potential of people going down there and swimming, then maybe you need to do some of that stuff. So one thing also that we've done over a period of time is we've actually come in and put at the top a grate. And over that grate, we've put gravel. So it's a disappearing. What you're not seeing is the water level going up and down or whether or not it's dirty. Or lighted. Yeah. But now we're not going to get as much debris in that basin. Also, 
the little bunny rabbits and the puppy dogs and the grandchildren aren't going to be able to get in that basin either. This is such a perfect example, Mike, of when a homeowner gets multiple estimates and you and I and many of the other professionals out there, because there's a bunch of you, are bidding these jobs the way that they should be built. And you're competing against companies that don't see it that way. And then so if you're a homeowner and you're like, well, well, I got this estimate from these guys and it's $50,000 more, it's because you're getting $50,000 more worth of value, not just because the company's trying to charge an extra $50,000. Right. And it becomes difficult, I think, for the homeowner to really truly comprehend and understand how it's being built unless you're walking this process with your designer. Yeah. So I actually met with a client today. Oh, cool. Let's hear about it. We will walk through his vanishing edge basin. Exactly. And explain to him why I wasn't doing his pool without peers. And because of the structure and the length of that we were doing on engineer's recommendation, 12 inch four and walls, mm-hmm. which meant a double mat of steel versus a single mat of steel. And pier caps. Oh yeah. Pier caps and then in four cleaning. And anyway, we walked through all the things. And I was like, these are the things it's just an investment. If you're going to put this particular feature in, if you properly invest in it, you're going to have a payout. You're going to be happy. Now, the disappointing thing is it's going to cost you more on the front end, mm-hmm. but you're not going to have the problems. So it's like saying, no, I don't want insurance on my car. And I'm going to drive regardlessly. I'm going to risk it. You know, I'm going to risk it. And in some cases, people are okay. But a lot of times there's disasters that happen to people. Mm-hmm. And so what we're trying to do is prevent those things from happening. So the biggest challenges I see with vanishing edge pools and the problems that I see have to do with the size of the basin. Yes. The configuration of the basin. Yes. And the fact that the basin water is always dirty and getting pumped back up to the pool, the water level is in the wrong place. There's skimmers in the basin that don't work. There's lots of telltale signs of construction that's not adequate. So plumbing and hydraulics are key with water in transit, what we're talking about here. And again, this would be something that's done by somebody that understands this process. If I was going to get a vanishing edge basin pool, I'd want to see their hydraulic layout of how they figured this out or that they hired someone to figure this out because there are people, just as you mentioned, a structural engineer, there are people that do hydraulic engineering as well. There's some good people out there. So if you don't know how to do it yourself, don't guess. As a professional, don't guess because you're going to have a train wreck. Mm-hmm. And pipe size is not something you can go back in and change inside a structure. The fact. Having the proper things in there from a valving standpoint and plumbing standpoint. There's many key things that as a homeowner, I don't think it would behoove us to give you a checklist on those type of things. I think you need to just be dealing with someone that knows how to do all that. Right. Both the educational programs that we talked about in the past, Watershape University and Genesis both have classes on hydraulics. They both have amazing classes on hydraulics. So if you're going to be doing this type of structure, then I would anticipate that I wouldn't want to work with someone that may not have that knowledge 
or be able to get someone that has that knowledge to help them through that process. Absolutely. One thing about the basin and the equipment, which we're talking about plumbing, is you want to have two separate equipment sets, possibly. And they can't always be by each other because the basins could be substantially lower than the pool. Okay. And pool pumps struggle with sucking up because pool pumps don't actually suck to begin with. Okay. They're better than that? They work off a vacuum. Oh, I just thought they just didn't suck. (laughs) Right? We've got a pool set of equipment for the vanishing edge basin. What you're saying is it should be at the same level as the basin or lower. In a perfect world, pool equipment's going to always work better on flooded suction. Which means lower than the vessel that's pulling it from. Yes, sir. So is it okay to have both sets of equipment down by the vanishing edge basin? It could be, but it also create some other problems. Okay. And now you've got tons of check valves and check valves you want to use as minimally as possible. Because they could fail? Because they can fail. Ideally, you want to have each equipment set close to the elevation of the basin it's drawing from. The equipment, by having them close to each other, they'll run much more efficiently and also quieter. I wanted to explain a check valve. Mike brought up the fact that they can fail. And if you have a body of water that's higher than the pool equipment, you're going to have check valves because the check valves keep the water from flowing out of the pool equipment. For instance, if you were to clean out the hair and lint pot on your pool pump, you didn't have a check valve on it. As soon as you open that hair and lint pot cap, that water is going to start rushing through filter and pump and draining right out. Okay. And it can get going pretty quick. Yes. It's a lot of water and it becomes increasingly more difficult depending on the volume of water to get the top back on. Gotcha. We don't want the check valves to fail because they're keeping your system safe. They're keeping your pool full of water. So is this like someone explained this to me years ago? I'd go to McDonald's and I'd get the straw and I'd put my thumb over the straw and I'd lift it up and the water stayed in the straw. Yeah. Is that kind of like a check valve? Yeah. So it keeps the water in the pipe where it doesn't all rush back on you. Like I take my thumb off it and it spills all over my brother now. Right. So you don't want it spilling all over or running down the hill when you take the lid of the pump off. So Ideally, you would have your pool equipment at the same level as the pool and not have to deal with check valves. So in a perfect world in a vanishing edge pool, your vanishing edge pool equipment set, which is, again, a separate set from the vanishing edge, would be similar to the same edge or very close to the same height as the water in the pool. And you would do the same thing with the basin set of equipment down below. Okay. Got to have good hydraulics, equipment in the right place, figured out by the engineer and hydraulic engineer. Any other things we need to think about or thinking about? No, I think that's a pretty good recap on the fundamentals of Vanishing Edge. And one of the things Mike and I talked about before we even started this segment was we're not trying to teach you as a consumer how to build a Vanishing Edge pool. We're trying to help you understand is seeing the possible items that have been deleted or not on there. That's really it. An idea of things that should be included. Yeah. That's what I meant. So, Thank you for clarifying. Not a problem at all. At least good for something today. You're good for a lot of stuff. Yes. I have a question for you. you it's not from me. It's from somebody else. Okay. And I think it's a great question because I answer this all the time. I love it. And it's, Kevin, how involved are you in my project from start to finish? Do you just design the pool and move on to the next cell? So i have made choices during my career to perform in a certain way 
and I choose to see things built. I enjoy that. I do not travel because I would not be able to see things built at the level and frequency that I have. So by staying here where there's plenty of work, I'm blessed in that aspect in an area where there's a lot of growth and there's a lot of demand for swimming pools and outdoor living is I get to see those projects go together. So I love to see at the end, the clients using it. So I stay involved in a project because I like to see how things are done. Now, some of the things that I stay involved with the project because I'm very busy and sometimes I don't communicate every single little detail as clearly as it should be done. And so then there's questions and they're like, Hey Mike, you got to come answer this. Or there's things that sometimes happen Mm -hmm. in processes. Hey, I got to go answer this. That's not necessarily fun, but it's necessary. So we can keep the vision as we thought it would be. I'm involved quite a bit. The only way to do it. There's different ways to do it. No, I'm saying that this is the best way to do it. When your designer is involved with you from start to finish. I'll say that. Okay. That's your perspective. So the other thing is if your designer's involved, well, in the ideal world, he's working with a great team. And so therefore you've got a great synergy on your project and you'll end up in a great place. So anyway. Well, at the end of the day, Mike, we're just trying to do the same thing, which is we want the homeowner to get what they asked for, what they wanted, what they thought we were going to get it. And we become the conduit because the challenge is, of course, if you're not on the job, and this is why I said what I said is how does everybody interpret your plans? How does everybody execute your plans? And we've got a gazillion different design scenarios on a million different types of properties with all kinds of soil conditions. All I'm saying is I believe that the best case scenario is that your designer stays with you from start to finish. That's really beneficial if you have someone that's been through a lot of different experiences Mm -hmm. and they have some good and bad things to draw on from the past to help guide you through that process. I love the comment, good and bad, because yep, you learn through some of the mistakes. So there's people that are going to be great designers and they're going to be involved with you, but they may not have been through all the fun and fire and know all the different things to do because they haven't experienced it yet. So some of it is you try to pass, that's why we teach. So to try to pass some of that on as well. So absolutely. Good example. This show is all about helping you become a better buyer, a better pool owner. And hopefully you're going to find some insights into how to enjoy your pool even more so, how to help your friends, your family, anybody looking to buy a pool in the future or that want to remodel their backyard, add an outdoor fireplace, fire pit, add an outdoor kitchen area, add some shade cells or whatever else it is. We want to be that resource for you. And that's the end goal here. And we promise that there's going to be a ton of information. We'll try to go through it, you know, as relatively quickly, but also slow so people can understand. But the intent of the show, the reason Mike and I are doing this is because we just got a lot in our heads and we want to share it. So we hope to see you here every single week. Thanks for listening.